Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But first, we invite you to join us for a brand new episode of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us on our Facebook live stream, welcome to you. Today is Wednesday, October 6th. Otherwise, if you're joining us through the magic of the shortwave, today is the 7th of October. I'm John Ventrius, and joining me here today in the studio, we've got Tomasz Koper and Leslie Liao. Hey. Hello. In just a moment, we're going to be telling you about a really cute Taiwan Formosan black bear related story. Uh, she was a media dar- was a she, right? Yeah, it was a she. Was a media darling for a long time, a rescued black bear who was returned to the wild, and now they're, they've been catching up on her, seeing how she's doing these days. We'll also be telling you uh, the bad news about how COVID 19's affected Taipei's metro system, plus a new board game that lets you, get this, pretend to be a Taiwanese lawmaker. If that's ever been your dream, now is your chance. <laughs> All that coming up next. Please stick around. When it comes to Formosan black bears, there's hardly a more famous specimen here in Taiwan than little Mulas, although I guess she's not so little anymore, huh? When they yeah. rescued her, she was a baby, though, right? They did rescue her uh, when she was a baby. In 2019, she was discovered in uh, Taitung County's Guangyuan village. And uh, she was named in honor of the village leader's name, and, and uh, her name is Mulas, which is the Bunun wor- word for wild strawberry. Oh, that's kind of a cute name for a yeah, but I, I, do bears eat strawberries? I wonder. I think they eat a lot of ev- like a bit of everything. Yeah, um, I guess so. I guess they're kind of omnivores, right? So what happened was um, this mulas was only about a few months old when um, she was found. And then she was given to the Taitung Forest uh, District Office, which raised the cup for 10 months. And then uh, they released her back into the wild in May of last year, and she was fitted with a GPS tracking collar. Oh, that's how they were able to find her. That was how they were able to fi- find her. And get this, this is some high-tech collar stuff, because the collar apparently has a remote release. So you press a button, and the collar just kind of falls off. Oh, isn't that a bit like uh, litter, though? <laughs> I guess so. Maybe it's biodegradable. Hmm. Um, so what happened was they collected 405 days of data on Mulas before they removed the collar in June. And um, the... Forest Bureau actually released the her, you know, her movements. For well, those of you who are curious, not her latest movements, I guess. We're now in October. No, these are, these are back in June. So I guess that way, no one like hunters and whatever can't track her down. They just kind of have a general idea of where she's been. Yeah, and their black bears, Tony, uh, Formosan black bears are quite elusive. Yeah, they're, they like uh, to hide. They're they're afraid of people. They avoid people. And um, the only way they really get caught are like in traps and stuff like that. Yeah, unfortunately, hunters' traps uh, do often maim them. Yeah. Um, So during her time being collared, Mulas covered more than 314 kilometers. Wow. And uh, she she climbed the daily equivalent 
of 100 flight of stairs in vertical altitude. That's a healthy bear, I That's guess. That's a really healthy yeah. bear. I'm just climbing up trees? Huh? Just climbing up trees or I guess, hillsides? I guess hillsides, right? I mean, she was just oh, altitude. scaling the scaling the mountains. Um, and it was evident that at first the little black bear was unfamiliar with her surroundings. So early data did not show a direct pattern to her movements. She was just kind of like learning the, the mountain and where she was. She's like, okay, been in captivity for the past 10 months. Got to figure out this new place. And that's right. what she did. But by wintertime, she settled into a... Uh, on a warm south-facing cliff with easy access to water. So this bear is following Adapted. all the rules of civilization, right? You Adapted to survival. Water. Prime yeah. real estate. <laughs> Prime real estate. Um, and she grew more active in the fall to prepare for winter. So I guess, did, do black bears hibernate? I'm no, I understand that sure. they don't. Yeah, Taiwan's pretty... We're too warm for that. To hibernate in Taiwan? I don't We're too warm so. for that, yeah. Yeah. Um, by late June, she had settled into a pattern, and then so the, her handlers at the Forestry Bureau were just like, well, she's not showing us anything we don't know already, so they yeah. released the collar, and um, a team was sent to retrieve it, John. <clears throat> okay, there good, go. so they didn't just leave it as e-waste. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess once they showed, once she demonstrated that she had the necessary survival skills, you don't need to track her anymore. Yeah. And uh, what happened was uh, there's a v short video now about the collar retrieval, which was dropped around three kilometers where she was released, which is... Not that far, considering mm. she traversed like more than 300 kilometers. Um, and uh, there's a longer documentary about Mulas, uh, which is hopefully about uh, black bear conservation. I do yeah, love black bears. They are very nice. Um, unfortunately, uh, like many, much of Taiwan's wildlife, uh, probably not in the most pristine of states. Yeah, but they are. I do love them very much. They're sort of our symbol here. The one at the Taipei Zoo is getting a little old, though. Oh, I haven't seen. I haven't been there a long yeah, time. Yeah, she's been getting old. She's got a little bit of mange, and then there's mm. uh, there's signs that say, uh, "Black bear is getting old. Please do not make any like to do not disturb the <laughs> old, bear." Old lady, please. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's just <laughs> Don't like old lady, the old lady. At work. <laughs> well, you know, COVID nineteen's affected all manner of things here in Taiwan, from especially. Things like domestic travel to uh, dining in at restaurants. But one of the unexpected, well, I guess not terribly unexpected, but rather hard hit areas was uh, the Taipei Metro, which I still thought was rather full. People were just wearing masks, that's all. I don't know. I, I took the Metro a few times uh, during level three, and I barely saw anyone. Okay. Coming in and out of work, it always seemed like there was kind of a normal number of people just wearing masks. Maybe in the morning. Uh, mm -hmm. But according to uh, data, the number of passengers fell from around 2 million per day in April, that's just before uh, our outbreak here in Taiwan, to around 440,000 in June. Yeah, that's a pretty sharp drop. That's a pretty sharp drop. I <laughs> guess people just weren't going out of the house so much for th unnecessary things. That's right. And that's, be uh, that's why the uh, Metro Corporation is reporting a loss this year. Um, this uh, has now reached uh, 3.2 billion NT dollars. That's which a, is lot of a lot of money. Uh, do we know roughly? What? I'm terrible at conversions. 114 but... million US dollars. Wow. That's, that's a, a big chunk of change. Yes. Um, that's uh, Yeah, will this affect their future plans for expansion? Will they have to cut back? Uh, yes, they have put a halt on recruitment. Uh, they will probably um, get rid or restructure some of their properties. Um, and uh, postpone non-essential engineering work. 
Right, because they I'm had really just... glad that it said non-essential. <laughs> yeah, non-essential. no, we don't. We, we, we do want the essential things yes. taken care of. Um, yeah, and they just, I think, uh, in the last year or two, opened a new line too. So it's probably got to right, be yeah. feeling it. Have you Have you taken the new line? Uh, yeah, a couple times. I have not actually. Now that you guys it's, mentioned, it's I have not taken nice. it. It is nice. Uh, the The headway between trains is really feels long if you're used to the more busy lines, but. Yeah, that's how it usually is with the new lines, and and then like even extensions of of new lines, right? Right. They're all pretty. They they take a long time. It's like seven, like seven minutes. Yeah, ten minutes. No, but even where I am, they're building um, a new underground line, and I'm wondering are they going to have to sort of postpone that a bit until they get their finances in order, or do they still? Hmm. I wonder it's, what will happen. I wonder if that's essential, right? Because if you don't if you don't like finish that on schedule, there's got to be some like attrition like erosion and depreciation especially in taiwan i think unfinished buildings deteriorate very quickly right well this one's underground but still we are a seismic nation and i mean i really hope john like that your your neck of the woods is is got some really rough traffic already and then now the middle of the road is just like torn open. No, like it really is difficult to get around in that area because of that. So I hope that... Does your uh, new line uh, have a collar already? I'm not sure. I think it does hypothetically or, or, or they've proposed one, but I'm not sure what it will end up being. It's not scheduled to open for a number of years yet, but... Well, we have a lot of MRT lines here in Taipei, which is great, but I'm not great at recognizing colors. So we're slowly running out of colors that I know. And the colors are getting really close we're going, together. We're going to get to, to stuff that I don't Sky understand. Sky blue like turquoise line. Maroon. <laughs> There's a, the burnt orange line. <laughs> the orange Sienna and the yellow lines are already Very really similar. hard to, to discern between. The only ones we don't have are, are uh, like purple and like something like white gray or white or black. We do have a like purple that. now, actually. Oh, the, uh, the, the airport, airport line. The yeah, airport yeah, yeah. line, that's, that's right. true. Technically, that's not part of the Taipei metro system, but at the same time, that true, is a color. True. They do call it the airport MRT. My least yeah. favorite. In my mind, it's the same. They have the brown line, which to me is just gross. But I, that's the, <laughs> like that's, transportation that's for the, the brown that's line. That's one of the first ones, John. I think that was the first line, <laughs> was, actually. First one, I think yeah. pretty much uh, we're missing just white, black, like gray, tan. White will show up great on a map. <laughs> <laughs> black um, line. I don't know if I want to ride the black line. I don't know. Pretty um so uh yeah pretty bad losses uh i think that now that we're sort of getting back in though the final quarter of the year should be pretty good for them though they're Let's talking about things rem- are looking up removing sort of outdoor mask mandates and things like that so uh maybe they, there's still another quarter of the year to go i think or roughly so we'll see what happens Well, maybe not all of our listeners uh, are familiar with Schoolhouse Rock, but I'm just reading this thinking, I'm just a Bill. I'm just are you, a Bill. Are you, American listeners will understand. Here on Capitol Hill. Um, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there is a new board game coming out here in Taiwan called, it's uh, kind of awkwardly translated, but it's called The Scene of a Bill. It should be called Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I agree, but we'll get to that they... in a moment. <laughs> Um, and the idea of this game is to stimulate to simulate the activities of the legislature in an educational and I guess fun way. <laughs> but well, that's quite a challenge. <laughs> um, if you ever watched our equivalent of C-SPAN here, the political channel, it is oftentimes rather dull. But the game puts players. The concept is that you, everyone, is a party whip who has to keep their party in line and pass or block bills by mustering votes and using the rules this of is parlamentary way too order. Much bureaucracy for children. 
House um, of Cards season one. I know. <laughs> I wonder if there's like intrigue or something involved to make it Ooh. more fun. I don't know, but uh, this is a, a university's actual, they have a place called the Legislative Research Center. Suzhou University's Legislative Research Center came up with this game to teach kids, like students, about government. And the idea is that uh, kids should know about parliamentary rules if they're going to be informed citizens, which uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know the rules of any parliament or legislature really. Just kind of, except you have to have a majority. <laughs> yeah, well, John, <laughs> here's my question in relation to this particular one. Are the piglets included or do you have to bring them yourself? Okay, so we should, in for our a lot of our long-term listeners will know, but Taiwan's uh, legislature, when it's not dull, is extremely ram- rambunctious. Um, as Leslie has alluded to, a protest about pork imports from the U.S. led to one party throwing pig guts all over the floor of the legislature at one point. There have also been fistfights, shouting matches, or regular water fights. There was a wa- one time they were throwing water out of bottles at each other. Um, but uh, and, and so, actually, um, though, to be fair, this seems to be re- kind of realistic because they had real, actual sitting lawmakers test play this game. They did. Um, they have. We've got a quote from one of them. And they went like, "Oh, so that's how it works." <laughs> oh, we've I just I get it. this whole oh. time. I just thought that was optional. <laughs> so, um, they they got someone from the New Power Party, a lawmaker by the name of Chiu Xianzhi, who said he played an early version, like a beta version of the game, uh, against members of the uh, uh, sort of NGO that helped develop it. And he played the, now the new power party is quite small and as the name suggests, relatively new on the political scene here. They're not that new anymore. And uh, he played the whip of a big party and got to know what it felt like to crush small parties, he said. So you got to flip the tables for once. Uh, He said he believes the game will work and help educate people on how the legislature works. And um, he does nod to, to the fact that things there can be chaotic um, noting that uh, he says that, you know, um, Taiwan's democracy still has a long way to go. And he talked about a recent uh, session, general interpolation session that got into a shouting match. And that was so rowdy that he could not even hear himself talk. And his microphone disappeared six minutes into his speech. So someone y- yoinked it. Someone <laughs> grabbed his microphone off the table. Um, like John said. It's usually pretty dull, but it goes from it's zero to one hundred in like real fast. Not ex- point three seconds. The extremes. The ex- What's the craziest thing you've seen, Tomasz? Because we've already discussed yeah, this. Yeah, fist recently. fights. I think fist, fist fights, fights were the most intense. Now you're um, from Poland. Does that happen in the Polish? No. Same. It, no, it doesn't. Oh, oh. Also, I congratulate you on your knowledge of Poland <laughs> <laughs> and the parliamentary process. <laughs> uh, people shout at each other uh, in, in 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 the same, but they don't fight and i have not seen pig guts or uh, other guts <laughs> be giant blown up inflatable paper mache pigs uh, that's part of- they did bring decorations that time too it was they a bit did. chaotic um well he also you know um one of the uh, another lawmaker who i guess tested this dpp lawmaker zhang liao wan jian said that a lot of young people who are interested in politics have been disillusioned because uh well they're blaming the media but um This lawmaker says that the game can help people learn that creating a functioning legislature or legislative culture is not easy work, and it takes generations even. So uh, he said people must not lose hope when things are not as they should be. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, at least they're being honest about the, the, you know, it is a colorful place. All the legislators, I think the legislature should play this game for real. They should. I'd like like to see 
Is that it? Doesn't explain how you win the game, though. So I would like to see. I guess you get your bill passed. Is it one bill or is, is it, it like a legislative? It says session, that there, it, there's plurals here. They must pass or block bills. So you have to leverage the rules of the legislature and muster votes. I feel like this might be more efficient than our actual parliament. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see it. Maybe it could be, and then maybe they would just realize that maybe the way they've been carrying on isn't the best way to run no the show. No throwing hands. When you were younger, would, would you have learned anything from board games, or would you have just focused on the gameplay? Oh, I... Um, there was never any... Well, there were sort of games like that in a history class one time we played something similar but never anything about the l legislative process no we just had cartoons remember leslie i'm oh, just yeah. a bill <laughs> i'm just a bill even i have seen that you've seen oh that you've seen that okay and we thought that one. might be lost on some of our uh, no, listeners but no no, no. Uh, well i mean i don't know about other listeners but um yeah i've uh, seen it on youtube or something. That, that's that was our bring well i guess it's all different in different parts of the world here you've got a board game so well, there you go <laughs> there was a similar thing in poland a few years ago where a group of people a foundation as well i think uh came up with a board game that was teaching kids about uh food uh, or food and material shortages in poland before 1989 Wow, that's really, really specific. No, in the communist era, yeah. It was called the queue. And the ob objective was to line up uh, in front of shops. And as soon as they opened, you had to grab whatever was available. Wow. Just like in real life. That's I like... thought people just went to, like, got passes to go to Sweden to buy stuff. Well, once once they got to Sweden, they tended not to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they got a lot of stuff when they were there. They didn't bring it back. Mm. Oh, that's fine. I, well, it's a, it's a different approach to, to education then. So since about 2016, we've been really going on about this new southbound policy in which we try to get better acquainted with our southern neighbors uh, and, um, you know, increase exchanges with them. But usually when they talk about that in Taiwan, the focus is pretty much only on Southeast Asian countries. Have you noticed that? Yes. And even that, only really a handful of them, too, not all of them. Uh, but there is one big exception to that, and that is India. And in educational, in the, the field of education in particular, contact with India and Taiwan is surging. Did you know that uh, since 2016, the number of Indian students here has increased by more than 110%? Oh, wow. That's great. And uh, yeah, I, well, I haven't been in university or anything for a very long time, so I haven't noticed. But uh, they've got more than 20 Taiwan education centers throughout India. Huh. That helps them learn Mandarin, I guess, before they come here, but also expose them, you know, those tempting higher education opportunities. I think a lot of us, uh, even here at RTI, studied in Taiwan and then just kind of never left. So I think we're <laughs> hopefully hooked them on uh, Taiwan. And uh, it says that it's a relatively new thing to have a large number of Indian students here. But uh, the country is one of the world's largest sources of foreign students uh, these days. In 2019, there were more than 750,000 Indians studying abroad. It doesn't say what proportion of those were here. And I think COVID-19 has affected those numbers. But it's a few thousand. So uh, it's also, we, you know, because we've got this additional uh, idea that we're going to be bilingual in English by 2030. And also, it says here, uh, it, Latin scholarships combined have attracted Indian students. That used to be a problem. Uh, I, I once had to take a class completely in Chinese on ancient bronzes because that was the only thing ancient available. bronzes? They didn't have enough English language classes and I was not wow. at that level at that point. 
it was pretty awful. John, you're you're, you're well versed in metallurgy. Uh, well, I had I had to be to pass. Um, and uh, it says that there's new education policy adopted in India last year that's liberalized collaboration between Indian and foreign universities. So the hope is to see Taiwanese universities uh, forge collaboration uh, with their Indian counterparts. Yeah, when I was here, the foreign students were uh, almost exclusively either from uh, Europe or the U.S. or else Japan. Right. A lot of uh, uh, Asian exchange students and foreign students. Uh, I wonder how many of these students are coming over from India, our RTI listeners, because... I don't know. India makes up a large percent of our... Well, that's why I thought it might be interesting to them, especially, because, uh, yeah, the ties are growing. And uh, there's also a lot of academic talk about uh, not just bringing in students, but having the professors and the researchers get in touch with one another, particularly the Indian Department of Science and Technology. They have a joint call every year for research projects. And so there's a lot of chances for communication here. And Great. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think what a lot of it seems to be, uh, they mention here India's National Association of Software and Service Companies. And a lot of uh, the people who end up staying, I think, work in the, in the IT or high-tech field. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really great to see that, that uh you know, unless you're in university, you probably don't notice very much. But once, uh, for instance, every year when they celebrate Holi, there's a oh, whole bunch yeah. of young Indian students who are who really lay lay back loose. Have you taken part in that before, where they throw the ink at each other? I I haven't. No, I haven't. But I know every year there's like now a Taiwan Appreciation Day in the Indian community here. It's like, huge. Yeah, they just ride. They have a massive party. Yeah, and they're just like, "Thank you, Taiwan," and we're just like, "We didn't do anything, but you know, you're <laughs> we didn't do anything, but you're welcome." <laughs> So well, yeah, if you're in India and if you're um, considering a college, uh, give Taiwan a try. Would you recommend it? You've done a, you've done student studies here. I would, I would. It's a great experience. Uh, it it brought me here, and I <laughs> liked it so much that I never left. Uh, that's the same story with me. They get you. They, they really get, get you. you. Mm-hmm. Do we have any comments while uh, we're at it before well, we head we out have today? Douglas North coming in from us, and then there's Nazir Aziz who says uh, Assalamualaikum. And um, Jessica Chang, our editor, says hi. Oh, hi from downstairs. Hi from downstairs. <laughs> he says, uh, Nazir Aziz asks, any tension? Now, I'm not 100% sure what. Any tension, like legislative among tension? us? Or <laughs> I don't think so. In the room, no. No, no. We're good. I don't feel any tension. We're chilling. We're doing okay. Uh, uh, yeah. At the legislative UN, probably. At the, at the legislative uh that's uh, always the case, though. That's always the case. That's part but, of the game. Yeah, as far as comments go, pretty quiet today. Okay. Uh, wait, Marcin. Oh, no. Uh, could you help me? Oh, hi, Marcin. Uh, Marcin Jerzewski. Jerzewski. He says about 200, uh, 2,200 Indian students study in Taiwan, mainly in STEM fields. Right, right. I know like uh, a lot of the high-tech companies in Shinju, which is about an hour and a half or so from they hire uh, Indian workers in large numbers. Gotta love it. So yeah, uh, it's a great t- time in uh, relations not only between Taiwan and Southeast Asia, but that southbound policy means South Asia as well. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Marcin, for t- chiming in with his expertise. I mean, in right, room, yeah. we're trying to find a, the latest number here. We love it when you guys chime in because it looks like it's gone down since COVID, but still, 110 percent, not bad. It's pretty uh, good. Stash recently interviewed Marcin. Uh, yes, and Marcin is a very, very knowledgeable person with uh, a lot of information uh, available right away. Well, chime on in, Marcin, whenever you, whenever you want to, whenever <laughs> you can, do. and leave a like. <laughs> 
All right, well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. Thanks so much to everyone who joined us on Facebook and left us a comment. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Tomasz Kopper. Stay tuned next, because coming up, we've got a hashtag Taiwan. Taiwan. Oh, I can't even remember now. <laughs> hashtag Taiwan and uh, highlights, highlights and in the spotlights. We spotlight. have excellent programming, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs>
helped. Amid this backsliding, Taiwan has been a rare bright spot. Many people, whether Taiwanese or simply having lived in Taiwan long term, thank Zakaria for bringing attention to Taiwan's democratic achievements. One person whose presence doesn't surprise me is Taiwanese lawmaker Wang Dingyu, who says, Thank you, Farid, for highlighting Taiwan's democratic achievements. I mean, that guy is always on Twitter. I just see him everywhere. Dave Troba tweets, I feel privileged to live here as a guest and to see how happy the people are about their hard-won rights and identity. To be sure, it is not perfect. No place is. But I have lived in Sweden and Switzerland beyond my USA home, and Taiwan fits in that company. Then there's Alexander Perini who tweets, Thank you for highlighting Taiwan's successful democracy. As freedom is being challenged around the world, the country stands out as a beacon of hope. I also really like this tweet from John Hohohaha Chen who says, Thanks so much for your report. So proud of my country Taiwan and her people. Now that tweet might not seem too special, but that's how I feel about the report, and I really wanted to say John Hohohaha Chen. Among all of the praise for Taiwan, though, there's one tweet that stands out which makes me kind of nervous. It's from Jay Osterman, number 5522, who tweets, If Taiwan falls, it would mark the end of democracy in the world. I mean, do I agree? I honestly don't think so, because that just puts too much pressure on Taiwan to succeed. But we've got to keep our heads down and keep working to make Taiwan a more open and inclusive society. You better watch out, Norway, because we're gunning for number one next year. And that was this week's Hashtag Taiwan. What do you think? Do you think Fareed Zakaria's assessment of Taiwan's democracy is accurate? And you know what? With that asked, I'd like to pose my question to you, which is... If not democracy, what else would Taiwan be a bright spot of in the world? Now, this is a question I've been asking a lot of people over the past week. And if you feel so inclined to message me your answer, go ahead and do so on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider or facebook.com slash Radio Taiwan International. You can also find us on our YouTube channel at RTI English. Don't be shy. Let me know what you guys think. And if you have a topic that you'd like to ask me about on hashtag Taiwan, go ahead and send me that too. Until next week, guys. Talk to you soon. Taiwan's largest opposition party, the KMT, just elected former New Taipei City Mayor Eric Zhu as its chairman. Now, what does Zhu's election mean for the KMT? Well, Stash Butler spoke with political scientist Song Wen-di to find out more. What, does, what values does Eric Zhu represent and what does his victory tell us about the KMT and its membership? I think Eric Zhu probably just in brief represents stability and continuity. Uh, stability as in KMT's party unity. Um, for a long time it's been seen as the establishment candidate or almost a candidate of inevitability almost and uh, he's been considered the heir apparent uh, to the last KMT president President Ma for more or less a decade already and if you look at um, those people who stand behind him or around him during election rallies you see you can see that he has very bifactional almost omnifactional support uh, more than any other candidate in the race this time uh, so that's the unity part, and I think in terms of policy stance, again, he represents some, probably the closest thing to President Mind Zhou's uh, stance on Taiwan's position in U.S.-China uh, relationships. The slogan people often refer to is Lu, or basically staying on the good side of both U.S. and China. 
And that's been a position for President Ma and also for Mr. Chu as well. I mean, you mentioned the issue of China. I mean, very highly significantly, uh, Eric Zhu exchanged letters with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping, uh, with Xi congratulating him on his, uh, his victory. Uh, I mean, what does this mean for Eric Zhu's approach to ties with China? And, and how do you expect uh, the party's approach to China-Taiwan ties to change uh, under his leadership? Given that President Tsai Ing-wen, the current um, DPP president, represents a more U.S.-heavy approach. So Eric Chu represents a revision from that, uh, moving closer to the center, if not the center, and slightly China-friendly side in that sort of U.S.-China spectrum. Uh, he also represents a slight uh, revision to the Chinese side of the spectrum, even compared with the current chairman, um, Johnny Chang, uh, Jiang Qichen, for example. is a place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Now, last week I was talking with Minnie Sun, who is the co-founder of Taiwan Mixed. Uh, and Taiwan Mixed is a news aggregator of all kinds of news from Taiwan, but in English. And Minnie is also a senior right now at George Washington University, majoring in international business and minoring in anthropology. Last week, we talked about her experiences of um, studying abroad and also just uh, why she picked international business because her father is in the business world and why she decided to minor in anthropology as well because of her interest in people, different races and uh, different cultures. Now, today, we're going to find out just why her parents put her and her younger brother in American schools ever since they were little. Um, I just wonder if there's a reason for that, because it seems like a lot of Taiwanese parents like to do that with their children. There is this concept, I think, among, I, I don't want to generalize and say like all Taiwanese parents, but I think in comparison, at least, I think compared to Americans, I I feel like this is somewhat of, of a maybe controversial take, but just in my interactions with my American friends, you know, peers, I feel like because Taiwan has a relatively um, recent memory of just like, I want to say to some extent, like destitution, and I mean economic, I mean political, um, and I, I realize this is generalizing because obviously, you know, not everyone has the same level of income. But compared to America, I think the concept of like you're 18, you're on your own, mm. for example, doesn't exist as much in Taiwan. And that's obviously for a variety of reasons. But mm. I do think to a certain extent, like history has something to do with that. Mm. And to that point, I think my parents honestly just 
wanted my brother and I, and I'm like extremely grateful for this. I don't think it was necessarily as much of a grand old plan as like, you know, like see the world, change the world. (laughs) But just that truthfully, there are a lot of opportunities that I think even 20 years ago existed or were easier to obtain outside of Taiwan or if you could honestly just speak English. I think from my interactions with my parents and my relatives that that's why, you know, it, I don't think it was especially profound. I think it was just genuinely wanting my brother and I to have more doors mm. open. So do your parents speak English? Um, my dad, no. My mom can get by. You said that you kind of grew up not really knowing what to study in college, but then because your dad, so then you said, okay, so I'll study international business. But the thing is that you um, you co-founded Taiwan Mixed. Now, that's something pretty outstanding for someone like you, I think. <laughs> I think. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> How did that come about? Oh, by I the way, sorry. The- you should explain. What is Taiwan Mixed? You want to explain that first? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Taiwan Mix is basically a news aggregator platform in English, aggregates news on Taiwan and anything Taiwan related. Um, And we really, really wanted to focus on being a trustworthy and accessible platform for anyone, you know, focused on quality journalism um, to the English speaking world about Taiwan. But we really thought it would be valuable to aggregate all of these sources in one place Mm. so that people can not just read about what's happening but also read about all these different perspectives on what's happening in an accessible way and that means in their language so what do you think about Tom mix right now i mean are you satisfied with what it's doing and what's offering what have you heard from people who maybe subscribe to Taiwan mixed i've heard I'm honestly, um, I manage most of the social media and I hear, I wouldn't say a lot, but I hear a good amount of, you know, thank yous from time to time. And, um, (laughs) truthfully that makes me very happy because I feel like, you know, we're doing like what we set out to do is actually benefiting people, but I don't think honestly, I'm ever going to be fully satisfied with with it just because I always think there is more that there's more space that we could potentially take up Mm. Um, and there's more needs that we could potentially address Um, and I do think that it's hard because I mean myself included and all of my um, like teammates I guess um, we're all in college and this, so this is on top of like school and extracurriculars and, I don't know, internships and obviously just life things like friends and family and everything else. What other ideas do you have that you want to add on to Taiwan Mix? Um, currently we have our, you know, main platform, which is Taiwan Mix, um, the website. And we have an Instagram and a Twitter, which we are more or less active on. And we do a lot of, so on our website, we aggregate the news. On our social media, more or less the news as well, but also we want to spotlight um, people who we think are doing important work in regards to Taiwan, um, other accounts that are doing, 
you know, whether these be podcasts or organizations, you know, nonprofits, sometimes it's political initiatives, like a while ago with Pew Research Center and the Right in Taiwanese campaign, um, besides news aggregating set out to just highlight and lift up anything Taiwan. I think extend all that is Taiwan to an English-speaking audience because, you know, like like how subtitles don't always, well, I, I would argue never, you know, get the entire meaning of what's being said, for example, let's say in a movie. I think that also applies to everything else, right? Mm. Like the entirety of what's going on and what do people think um, is never perfectly and entirely translated into English. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What do you intend to add on that you're thinking of? We currently have an idea in the works, kind of an extension of our platform of sorts. And I think it's a way to, we really want to work towards engaging, you know, people. Um, Like instead of them having to, come to us um more so us initiating us, with them um i would not say initiating because mm. we are only a few people <laughs> <laughs> but being more out there and providing a platform where people can engage not just with us but with each other okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so your platform is not just providing info and for people to just go on and and surf and and read and all that, but actually you want people to engage with you guys of what they saw and to uh, give their opinions and and even like even giving you ideas what they want to see more on time mix, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I see, I see. Um, yeah, because I think um, obviously the news, right, is extremely important to know what's going on is extremely important, but that's really just step one, right? After that, there's what is your opinion about what's going on? What do you think about what's going on? Um, you know, like free speech, free freedom yeah. of press, and everything isn't just like this is what's going on. The end. Um, it's kind of everything that happens after that that's really important. So that's why we really want, we really value engagement, and we always want to kind of work towards that. And also, I mean, everything and anything. I think you as an individual put out technically is content, even though content is like a buzzword now in this internet world. Um, So we want people who aren't journalists, you know, professional journalists or writers to also produce their own content, even if that means leaving a comment. Oh, Um, okay. That's something we're really, um, that's I think a problem, an issue that we have identified that we want to work towards and we are trying <laughs> wow so it sounds like you guys are trying to do a lot on Taiwan mixed that is a lot of work I mean how many people do you have on your team we have five five yeah and if when people do ask questions or give their opinions do you guys do the five of you try to respond to to what they say on that platform oh yeah um definitely and oh, um okay um this isn't like I, I I don't think this is like an incredible feat because we don't it's not like, you know, I'm not like Billie Eilish, you know, we're not getting millions of DMs a day or anything like that. At least um, at this time with the amount of uh, messages or comments or feedback or whatever that we're 
receiving, we do try our best to respond to everything if we have something to say, right? Like we're not going to respond just for the sake of responding. I I think it would be a little uppity of us to like not respond to anyone. True, that's that's true. Yeah, healthy. Yeah, but but it's 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 a lot of work on you guys, and maybe a lot of pressure too. Uh, More or less, because I feel like through Taiwan mixed, it's no longer like I'm speaking for myself. You know, I'm speaking for an organization. I I I would say so. Mm. There's a little bit. I I always feel like you know, like I'm literally I'm 21. I know nothing and. I'm somehow in charge of this. <laughs> <laughs> You're too humble. Oh, well, one last question. I mean, while you're in the States, what are some of the things you miss from Taiwan? What are the oh things that, God. yeah, I don't know, whether it's, it doesn't have to be food, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course it's food. It's always food. Um, it's never not food. If it's not food, I don't trust you. <laughs> oh, so what, what do you miss? Oh, my gosh. I miss, honestly... I miss boba that is actually good. Like, uh-huh. honestly, maybe I'm not in California. Uh-huh. But there's just something about the bubble tea in America. <laughs> it's too creamy and the bubbles oh. are good. Do they have it in D.C.? <laughs> they, they do, but, okay. you know, it's, it's like not whatever. the same. Yeah, well, not the same. And yeah. how Taiwanese food is conflated with Chinese food um, <laughs> and, like, I don't know, sometimes Korean, Japanese, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like that's the that's the that's the cute answer, you know, that's the casual answer. What I really do miss, like yeah. seriously, yeah. is and I think this is very hard to describe or quantify okay. at all. Uh-huh. But it's the sense of like I think even though I grew up in a very different setting compared to other people in Taiwan for obvious reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um there's this identification of like I'm it's easier to talk to like a Taiwanese waitress because like we are we're like we're the same mm. you know and in America it's like it's so much harder to order food in America even though it's not but it feels like it is because there's that sense of like um I think a sense of shared identity it's very rarely very obvious, but it's always something that's lingering, like, in the back of my head. And I I wouldn't call it homesickness, but it's just that missing sense of, like, I belong here. That's <laughs> very deep. But it is deep. I'm just going to yeah. say, this is deep. <laughs> yeah, but that's my honest, that's my very honest answer. Well, the way I yeah. see it, you are homesick. <laughs> Yeah, to a certain extent, it's always a little there. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like that maybe after you graduate, I think we'll probably end up seeing you here back in Taiwan. <laughs> that is a possibility. I'm thinking about it. Um, well, we will see. Honestly, it's whatever happens, and I, I will go with that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go with your feelings. All right. Hey, it's been it's been really amazing talking to you, uh, Minnie. Thank you so much for all your insights and deep, deep thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, good luck with your last, last year in university and, and wish you all the best of luck, you know, a year from now. And I'm sure that you're going to think of something really great to pursue, you know, in terms of your dream or whatever. <laughs> I <you know>. hope so. <laughs> you will, you will, you will. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much, Mini. Thank you.
Yeah, yeah. no, thank you so much, Shirley. Thank you. Thank you All for right. your time. Okay. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.